Hi, this is Dr. William Renner. Thank you for joining me on this podcast on evidence-based medicine and health and wellness. Uh, today, I'm with Dr. Alan Safdie, world-famous gastroenterologist and specialist uh, who lectures at medical schools uh, on nutrition. Alan, let's talk about sleep because I think sleep's really important to people. Uh, what can you tell us about sleep? Get enough. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, let's talk about some of the, you know, risks that are inherent with uh, either insomnia or not getting enough sleep. And, and it's not an uncommon problem, uh, especially among physicians. Uh, some of the most sleep deprived people were us during our residency. Uh, but inability to either you can't fall asleep or you have trouble staying asleep. Um, and if this happens, you know, we look at people with insomnia and we usually classify them as this happening three times a week or for longer than a 90 day period of time. Um, but things that can occur and we'll go through some of this in more example, obviously fatigue, um, but it's more than fatigue. It's, you know, totally exhausted. Um, and it may be associated with a variety of other things. You may have more myalgias or muscle pains or weakness, sore muscles, dizziness, headaches associated with that. Mood issues can, you know, people are, are crankier. Um, one large study found those with insomnia five times more likely to get depressed um, than other people. They may get angry or sad quicker. Uh, they may not deal with stress. You know, if you're not getting that seven to eight hours of sleep, your brain needs that. So you're not overwhelmed. Uh, so you're not losing your patience uh, easily. But one of the things that's really important is brain performance. And we'll get into short-term and long-term brain performance. Short term, it's a problem. Uh, you might find inability to concentrate and make good decisions. And in a bit, we'll talk about long term. But if you're only getting five hours of sleep a night, uh, your judgment may be affected, uh, even riskier behaviors. One of the things we talk about when people are having problems with their weight is looking at how much they're sleeping. Um, why is that? Because when you sleep, um, you're regulating the hormones that deal with feeling of hunger and fullness. So if you don't realize that you're full, you're going to continue to eat. So long-term lack of sleep, put people at higher risk for obesity. Um, you know, your immune system takes a hit when you're uh, not getting an adequate amount of sleep. Uh, you know, when uh, your body releases proteins that help you protect against illness and inflammation while you sleep and chronic lack of sleep relates to that. Um, diabetes, we have some interesting studies in regards to diabetes just recently. Uh, adults who slept five hours a night or less were two and a half times more likely to get type 2 diabetes than those that slept seven or eight hours sleep. And heart disease, um, not to mention accidents when you're tired. So what are the, some of the sleep habits? You know, how do we improve our sleep? You know, what are some of the things that we do, you know, what are the habits you should break, Bill? Um, you know, your body wants consistency when you sleep. Uh, you, know, you want your schedule to be the same, um, whether it be a weekend or a weeknight. Your body doesn't care if it's a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. Um, so, you know, we really want consistency. And if you're sleeping in a hotter environment, you know, sleeping with the heat turned up can be a problem for some people. The body needs a cooler temperature for sleep. Uh, so that's, you know, we don't want to have a room that's 78 degrees, uh, too hot. You might find it hard to fall asleep, but you also may find you're waking up a lot more. Um, 
Yeah, I've I've seen some articles that say sixty five degrees, which is pretty cool. Um, might be the optimum sort of temperature for some individuals. And I think this is a, a, a relevant question for older people too, because I've noticed as I've aged that I have more trouble sleeping. Before, uh, you and I both worked back in the bad old days when we had to work 36-hour shifts when we were interns. And sometimes even when we were in faculty, we'd have to work 36-hour shifts. And now, luckily, that's pretty much out of the wayside. Um, uh, even for the new medical students and new residents, but there's still, uh, I still work with several of the residents and they're still very much sleep deprived, uh, uh lots of the time. Um, uh, but as we get older, but as we get older, as I get older, I have more trouble staying asleep at night. Yeah. And that's not uncommon. Um, but, you know, part of that relates to the heat. I, you know, some of the more recent studies looked at 68 degrees, um, so 65, 68. But, you know, a, that may be beneficial. A bedtime routine is really important. Um, your body responds to a bedtime routine uh, just as it did when you were little. And whether it be you read a book, not a smartphone, um, you know, not a lighted screen, uh, whether you meditate before you go to bed, whether you take a shower before you go to bed, you know, winding down, um, you know, a smart winding down with your smartphone, probably not a good idea because a smartphone does nothing but stimulate the brain. Um, you know, if you need to wind down before bed, I would not use that. And yeah, everyone, you know, the latest, the latest articles I've seen is that that screens are bad at least an hour. You should stop using any screens at least an hour before you, you sleep. I, I frequently read before I sleep. And instead of using the screens now, I'm, I'm going back to paper books. And I found that that kind of helps me as well. Yeah. And, you know, each person has to really decide that, but develop a bedside routine. And one of the things that we see pretty commonly when people complain of this is they have a clock next to their bed and they look at the clock. So they wake up for a second, they go to the bathroom, they look at the clock and they see how close it is to the time where they have to wake up. Unfortunately, that causes anxiety and elevated hormones in the body that makes you feel more alert. So to combat that, we say usually take the clock, face it towards the wall, move it away from the bed. Um, you know, when we were little, we didn't really have a clock that we could see at night. Um, so, you know, don't sit there looking at the clock thinking, how soon is it before I have to get to bed? So what are, you know, what are some of the other things that I mentioned real quickly, um, you know, that are really deleterious long-term, not just short-term, but prior research on sleep quality and control of blood glucose, um, you know, we know that diet, exercise, and sleep are fundamental components of, of you know, the healthy lifestyle. We've talked about that a long time, but sleep plays a tremendous role in affecting blood glucose control and generally healthy people. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, you know, lately they've come out. Um, uh, I was talking to a friend, a friend of mine at one of the sleep labs. And lately it used to be that if you wanted to be examined for sleep apnea at night, you had to go in and spend the night in the hospital, but now you no longer do that. They give you these, um, it's basically like an iPhone. You you attach these to your fingers, and it just records records your sleep at night. 
and um, can tell you if you have sleep apnea. Uh, which individuals should be tested for sleep apnea, Alan? I mean, well, we know that sleep disorders can, you know, act as a measure of general health um, alongside other problems. And, and sleep quality also has a direct causal effect on many conditions. I mean, if you look at sleep quality in regards to cardiovascular disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, um, and disturbed sleep can be caused by conditions such as obstructive sleep apnea. So if you have a spouse or somebody else that says you're snoring or you stop breathing for a period of time, whether it be, you know, 15, 20 seconds at night, it doesn't have to be minutes. Um, because when you have sleep apnea, it's associated with the prevalence of type two diabetes and the risk of complications with that. I would err on the side of getting tested if there's any question. Um, sometimes we test people. We, to give you an example, we have a young man that actually owns a company and he, his memory has been much worse. I mean, noticeably worse. Everybody in his family noticed it. Besides testing for the typical things that can relate to dementia, we check for sleep apnea. Um, so when there's memory loss, when there's any of these pre-existing conditions, it's so easy to check right now. Um, you know, we can monitor activity and sleep by wearable devices and an accelerometer. Uh, so accelerometer, you can, your watch has that. Uh, if you have an Apple watch or any smart watch, um, we can monitor postprandial blood glucose levels measured by continuous blood pressure monitor. So we want to measure quality of sleep, duration of sleep, timing of sleep, uh, and then we want to measure it in regards to a variety of other factors. So, you know, err on the side of getting it tested. Um, and, and don't think of things like melatonin. Um, they, people think of that as a sleeping pill. Um, even though, you know, it's not a sleeping pill. Melatonin is actually a hormone uh, that our brains naturally produce. We produce melatonin in our brain. Uh, we produce it in minuscule amounts, and, but and it can have potent effects throughout the entire body. And there's clinical uses for it. Uh, the vast majority of the public, when they use it, they use it wrong. They're, they get into bed and they take it right then. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, and you always want to consult their doctor or sleep specialist before taking melatonin. And it doesn't address a lot of the underlying health problems that may be affecting disturbed sleep. So as you mentioned before, it doesn't cure sleep apnea. Um, it doesn't cure anxiety. Uh, so it doesn't cure restless leg syndrome. And although it's inexpensive, um, it, it may not be the best approach, but you know, the way it works is during the day, this little brain sized pea sized pineal gland remains inactive. And a few hours before you go to sleep, not when you're getting there, it starts to get dark outside. Uh, and the light that enters into your eyes fades. The gland switches on and floods the brain with melatonin, not floods it, but increases the amount of melatonin. So it's really a hormone of darkness. So we don't want to be sleeping with lights on and other things, because sometimes when you're leaving your lights on, um, you may actually make less melatonin. There was actually uh, a study recently uh, that looked at lights on during sleep and it plays havoc with metabolism. You know, when you sleep with your lights on, can play havoc with melatonin secretion, with insulin levels, glucose response. Um, 
and a variety of things. And that was just recently studied. So you really don't want to be sleeping um, with your lights on. Uh, you know, moderate level of room light while sleeping with eyes closed, increased heart rate, increased, you know, your sympathetic nervous system during your entire sleep. So some people sleep with lights on, probably not a great idea, especially if you have difficulty sleeping or have diabetes or other things. So lots of little things that we forget about, um, you know, in these patients. So, uh, you know, we never really realized that light during sleep may affect insulin. Light during sleep may affect melatonin, may affect heart rate. The only one we really knew about was melatonin secretion. Um, in one study, light in the bedroom was associated with obesity in women. Another study was associated with type 2 diabetes in an elderly population. Um, so, you know, think about these things. Um, you know, try to get an adequate amount of sleep. Um, think about any underlying health conditions you have and discuss all these with your physician. If you're going to take melatonin, discuss with your physician the dose. Remember, our body makes melatonin, but a minuscule dose. Um, we don't make five or 10 milligrams, which are sold over the counter. Um, you know, and take it, if you're taking it under your physician's guidance, um, it may take several hours for it to actually work. It doesn't work immediately. Um, so, you know, taking melatonin supplement is sort of like taking a dose of sunset. Uh, you want to trick your body into thinking it's nighttime, uh, but it, it is not a sleeping pill. Alan, that, again, this is a really great advice, another great uh, podcast on evidence-based med medicine and wellness. If you like, if you like our evidence-based medicine podcast, uh, please subscribe to our channel. Please tell your friends about it. And uh, we're going to be trying to make a few more of these podcasts, try to get several podcasts uh, every weekend. We've had a lot of requests for, for more of these uh, evidence-based uh, podcasts. Uh, Alan, again, uh, thank you. Uh, for your time and your help. Uh, do you have any uh, final uh, comments? No, I want everybody to think about their diet, their exercise, their sleep patterns, their overall lifestyle, their whole food ingestion. Um, you know, how you're going to be a happier, healthier person when you do all these things. Uh, thank you, Alan. All right. Stay safe. Thanks, Bill.